We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 362 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, July 26th. 2022, it is the day on which Commanders players are reporting for training camp, which will begin on Wednesday. Tuesday is a training camp reporting day for Commanders players. Tuesday also is conditioning test day for Commanders players. Who is in shape? Who is an out-of-shape slob? <laughs> we find out today. Uh, actually, unless you're Albert Hainsworth during his time as a Redskin. Conditioning test day is almost always a no-drama day. Uh, most players are in outstanding condition. What's going to be particularly interesting about today and Wednesday is who the commanders put on the active, physically unable to perform list, uh, the pup list. Uh, we have Chase Young and Logan Thomas and Chase Roulier and Tyler Larson, all coming off serious injuries. Uh, all of them are candidates to begin training camp on the pup list. Uh, Ron Rivera will speak later today. He is expected to do a late afternoon press conference as we essentially are off and running. 2022 Commanders training camp is just about here. Hello and welcome to this Commanders training camp preview installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, next segment, a special guest, Commander's Insider, Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. We will talk nothing but Commander's football. No Dan Snyder, no Congress, no Jason Wright, nothing but Commander's football. And we will prepare you mentally, physically, spiritually for Commander's training camp, including a look at the position battles, uh, which positions are up for grabs. Uh, also, I'll get Sam's takes on the biggest roster concern for Rod Rivera and on what Ron feels the best about regarding the commander's roster. Uh, by the way, did you see the news on Monday? Command Force. Are you ready for the Command Force? Uh, the commanders on July 20th filed a trademark application for Command Force, and the belief is that that will be the name of the team's dance squad. Remember, no more cheerleaders for the team. Uh, the team's cheerleader program was discontinued in March 2021. Uh, the team now has a co-ed dance squad, and it looks like Command Force will be the name. So we have the Air Force and the Space Force as part of our military. 
We in the 1980s had a Chuck Norris movie called The Delta Force. We also in the 1980s had a tag team in the WWF called Strike Force. And now we will have a co-ed dance squad for the commanders called Command Force. So there you go. As, as Jason Wright said earlier this year, there it is. Oh, wow. You didn't waste any time there. There it is. Yes, Jason. Boom. There it is. Uh, also on the show, I uh, will discuss big wins on Monday night for both the Nationals and the Orioles. How often have we had that this season? Big wins on the same day for both the Nats and the O's. Uh, the Nats late night on Monday night won at the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers 4-1. The O's on Monday night beat the Tampa Bay Rays 5-1 at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Uh, the Rays are the number two team in the American League wildcard standings. Uh, excellent work by both the Nats bullpen and the Orioles bullpen on Monday night. And a big game for perhaps uh, future Dodger Juan Soto on Monday night for the Nats. Uh, before we get to some feedback, uh, I so hope, so hope that the Wizards trade for Donovan Mitchell of the Utah Jazz. Uh, the Wizards like never come up as a potential destination for NBA superstars who are going to be traded or who want to be traded. Well, amazingly, the Wizards have come up for Donovan Mitchell. Uh, NBA insider Sham Sharania of The Athletic he on Monday morning reported that the Wizards have expressed interest in trading for Donovan Mitchell. Quote, along with New York, several other teams have expressed interest to the Jazz when it comes to Mitchell, such as Washington, Miami, Toronto, Charlotte, Sacramento, and Atlanta, according to sources. End quote. Uh, well, thank you, sources. Uh, now, look, certainly there's not a lot of meat on that bone for us as Wizards fans. Uh, all Shams reported was that the Wizards have expressed interest to the Jazz about trading for Donovan Mitchell. But you know what? Even if there's not a lot of meat on the bone, at least there is a bone, okay? I mean, we as Wizards fans never have even a bone thrown our way when it comes to getting a potential NBA superstar via trade. Well, now we have received a bone. Uh, there is so little juice with the Wizards right now. They just gave Bradley Beal a five-year $251 million Supermax contract. And like nobody seems to have been moved by that at all. In fact, I think that many, if not most, Wizards fans are like me and not at all thrilled about that contract. Normally, you should celebrate a mega money contract for your best player. You have had like the opposite of that with this Wizards Supermax contract for Bradley Beal. Trading for Donovan Mitchell would inject some much-needed juice into the Wizards and could make them an Eastern Conference contender because a big two of Bradley Beal and Donovan Mitchell uh, would be quite a big two. I mean, I would certainly be excited to see that. Um, now, you know, I'm not counting on the Wizards trading for Donovan Mitchell. How the heck could you count on something like that happening, especially with our team. But this, to me, is a lot more exciting uh, than the Wizards potentially trading for Kevin Durant of the Brooklyn Nets. And don't get me wrong, I think that the Wizards should be interested in trading for Kevin Durant, but Durant is going into his age 34 season. Mitchell is going into his age 26 season. Gimme Donovan Mitchell. Would love to see the Wizards make that trade happen, but uh, yeah, I'm not... 
holding my breath. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Dr. CCB on the commander's trade for Carson Wentz. Uh, I, on Monday's show, episode 361, talked with Kevin Sheehan, host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast about many commander's items, including whether Kevin now feels better, worse, or the same about the commander's trade for Wentz as compared to how Kevin felt about the trade when it happened in March. Uh, Kevin said that he feels the same. Uh, I have said that I actually feel better about the trade. Writes Dr. CCB, the trade with Baker Mayfield going to the Panthers got me thinking about the Skins trade for Carson Wentz. I just don't understand why the Skins can't seem to get things right. I realize that Mayfield and Wentz are slightly different quarterbacks, but both were ready to move on from their respective teams and possibly were going to be released, not to mention both players had sizable contracts. Please tell me how it is that Mayfield goes to the Panthers for the price of a 1984 Chevy Pinto while Wentz goes to the Skins for the price of a 2023 Tesla. Utterly ridiculous how my team continually gets fleeced. SMH, I can imagine that the Colts were chomping at the bit to hear from Rod Rivera, Martin Mayhew, Marty Herney, or whoever made the deal. And oh yeah, let's not forget eating 100% of Wentz's contract. I know this comparison is not exactly oranges to oranges, but there are enough similarities to be tangerines and clementines. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for the email. Dr. CCB. Dr. CCB does a lot of great work at JBAB, Joint Base Anacostia Bowling in Washington, D.C. So yeah, the Cleveland Browns earlier this month traded quarterback Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers for a conditional pick in the 2024 NFL Draft, uh, what will be either a fourth or fifth round pick. Uh, This to me was a tremendous bargain buy by the Panthers. Total no-risk potential high-reward trade acquisition by the Panthers, who, yes, gave up a lot less for Mayfield as compared to what the Commanders traded to the Indianapolis Colts for Carson Wentz. But there are some key differences between Wentz and Mayfield. And the biggest difference is Wentz has been a much better NFL quarterback than Mayfield has been. Uh, Believe it or not, Carson Wentz has played well in four of his last five NFL seasons. Uh, Baker Mayfield, on the other hand, has only been good in at most two of his four NFL seasons. Now, no doubt, there are concerns with Carson Wentz. Uh, We have talked about these concerns. Uh, The red flags with Wentz are impossible to ignore. But the truth is that Wentz has been a better quarterback than he gets credit for. And the more that I've dug into who Wentz has been as a quarterback, the more that I have liked, and this is why I do feel better about the commanders having traded for Wentz now as compared to how I felt when the trade happened in March, even though, yeah, I do have questions about and concerns with Wentz. But here's the truth. Carson Wentz has finished in the top 12 among qualified NFL quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR in four of the last five NFL regular seasons. That's pretty good. Four of the last five seasons Wentz has been top 12 in the NFL in what is the best singular stat for evaluating quarterback play. On the other hand, Baker Mayfield has finished at top 12 among qualified quarterbacks in total QBR just once over his four 
NFL regular seasons. Uh, there are other stats that I could throw at you, but the total QBR comparison is striking. You know, Wentz had a horrendous 2020 season. There's no question about that. But Wentz's 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2021 seasons were all good to varying degrees. He is far from perfect. You cannot ignore the red flags, but there are things to like about Wentz. He's not just some bum for whom the commanders traded multiple draft picks. And keep this in mind about Baker Mayfield, too. He's coming off shoulder surgery, uh, albeit on his non-throwing shoulder. But Mayfield in January underwent surgery to repair a torn labrum in his left shoulder. Uh, Email from Peter in Springfield, Virginia. On the commanders, perhaps one day, relocating. Writes Peter, the team is among the worst in the NFL in ticket revenue. Virginia, Maryland, and Washington, D.C. won't subsidize a new stadium. Team revenues are coming from out of the region, and the political nature of the region does not match the owner's political affiliation. Dan Snyder's options are limited, and moving the team to a different region would solve the majority of the problems. I'm getting worried about losing the team. Uh, Thank you for the email, Peter. Uh, Well, (laughs) if Dan Snyder wasn't already the most despised person in Washington, D.C. sports history, uh, moving the commanders certainly would cement him as the most despised person in Washington, D.C. sports history. Uh, Look, the notion of the commanders potentially leaving has come up. I do not see the commanders leaving. Uh, Number one, Dan Snyder, even if he wanted to relocate the team, and that's a huge if, but even if he wanted to relocate the team, couldn't just relocate the team on his own. He couldn't on his own just say, okay, we're moving. He would need the support of the NFL to do that. Number two, the Washington, D.C. market is a very attractive and lucrative market in which the NFL wants to be. The Washington, D.C. market is a top 10 media market. The 2021-2022 Nielsen rankings have the Washington, D.C. market as the number nine media market in the country. Uh, There is a lot of disposable income in the Washington, D.C. area. Montgomery County, Maryland, Fairfax County, Virginia, Loudoun County, Virginia, uh, three of the richest counties in the country. And there are a lot of big companies and practices in this area. There are a lot of advertising dollars in this area. The NFL would be nuts to leave the Washington, D.C. market. The NFL would oust Dan Snyder as owner of the team before leaving the Washington, D.C. market. Uh, You know, I've heard people talk about the commanders leaving for, say, St. Louis or San Antonio. Uh, Like I said, the Washington, D.C. market per the 2021-2022 Nielsen rankings is the number nine media market in the country. St. Louis is number 23. San Antonio is number 31. Why would you leave number nine for number 23 or number 31? It just wouldn't make sense. Well, The Washington, D.C. area being such a good area does also mean that buying a home in the area can be tricky. And if you are wanting to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you got to get with Kellen Hunt. If you are on the hunt for a home in the D.C. area, get with Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L dot com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. If you have questions and concerns about buying a home right now, 
Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt has his finger on the pulse of developments all around the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, He is a DMV native. He lives and breathes the culture. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods, economical development, schools, market conditions, and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique. And Kellen Hunt closes deals. He wins. He is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want. Uh, No matter your age, family situation, or financial situation, Kellen Hunt can help you. Kellen Hunt is a real estate agent for real people, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yeah, you the buyer get a piece of the action. Who doesn't want some extra money right now, given inflation and gas prices? Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit CloseItWithKel.com. Book your introductory call with Kellen Hunt at CloseItWithKel.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. Well, you are to be commended, uh, not just for having the intelligence and great decision-making to have decided to listen to this podcast, but for having survived the Commander's offseason. It is just about over. Commander's players on Tuesday are reporting for conditioning tests, and the Commander's on Wednesday will begin their 2022 training camp. And joining me now for a proper preview of 2022 Commander's Training Camp is Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Uh, You can follow Sam on Twitter at Sam4TR with four as the number four. Sam, it's nice to have you on the podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, man. I I appreciate the invite. Yeah, thanks for coming on. In terms of covering the team, is this coming season, in fact, totally back to normal? Are the COVID restrictions of the last two years now gone? Yeah, so, uh, you know, knock on wood there, but everything is is going to be totally normal uh, as far as we know. Um, I have actually never covered this team in a totally normal environment, huh. and I don't even mean just the, the things that everybody else talks about and goes through, but um, I covered the Los Angeles Chargers for one year uh, and got a little taste of what normal NFL is like, so I am I am really excited to get back to it. Yeah, that should be good. You guys having locker room access and getting to establish true relationships uh, with players. So the commanders have a number of players uh, coming off serious injuries, right? Chase Young and Logan Thomas and Chase Rulier and Tyler Larson. Do you expect all of those guys to begin training camp on the active, physically unable to perform list, the pup list? Yeah, I would say that that is, is a fair assumption. I think that probably the best uh, chance of, of not being on it is Chase Rulier. He told us June 15th uh, that he was optimistic to get back during camp. Uh, and then, you know, really get back during week one. I think Logan Thomas, uh, Chase Young, Tyler Larson are more up in the air. I would say, you know, for, for Young, especially week one is, is in question. Uh, but, in, in, you know, not to look too far ahead here. Yes, I would, I would imagine all of those guys have a decent chance to start camp on the pup list. The commanders certainly seem to be playing the Chase Young recovery from the torn right ACL in a conservative way, and I would argue a smart way. Uh, You are not seeing boisterous proclamations. You are not seeing a timetable being given out. Uh, What do you make of how the team is handling the Chase Young recovery? 
Uh, I think that this is a really interesting contrast to the way that the Curtis Samuel situation was handled last year, especially when we find out in November that Curtis Samuel actually had core muscle surgery uh, during the, the spring and summer. So I wonder if this is almost a, a reaction or an informed decision-making process this year as a result of that process. Obviously, I'm not saying that uh, Chase had unexpected surgery or anything recently, but uh, it does strike me as, as a very different tone than last year, which was, hey, there's no reason to be concerned. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. Oh, yeah, he's not going to play. Yeah, the Curtis Samuel situation last season really was odd. Why do you think that the team kept that core muscle surgery a secret for so long? Well, I have to imagine it's because they didn't think that it would be a problem. And I think that they probably, whether that was directed by Curtis's camp or the team, I'm not sure. But I'm sure that someone there thought, okay, this is not going to be a problem. Let's just not even bring it up. Uh, and then obviously as you get down the road, maybe it's it's the sort of a thing where a little lie becomes, uh, you know, or a little omission becomes easier um, to, to perpetuate than, than to, you know, just kind of say, hey, you know, actually, you know, this has been a problem for a lot longer and kind of go back and, and say it that way. So I, I don't know. I think, I think that's maybe sort of why it happened, but uh, I could be off base. We did see Curtis Samuel not fully participating in multiple off-season practices. Uh, you don't want to overreact to what you see in these off-season practices, but of course, I don't think that Curtis Samuel gets a benefit of the doubt from an injury standpoint, given what happened last season. How significant to you was Samuel not fully practicing in some of these off-season practices that were open to the media? I find it to be significant just because of his history. I mean, every time that I have tried to predict or, you know, prognosticate, hey, is Curtis Samuel going to play this week? Is he going to practice today? I have been wrong more often than not. And so I am just going to step back and say, I, I don't know. I don't think um, that we have, you know, enough information. Right now, what, what I am told is he is expected to be ready for the start of training camp. He will not be on the pup list. He will be ready to go. Um, and that, you know, mini camp was, was – out of precaution. Um, and, and I will say that, that when we did see him on the field for minicamp, he did look different than he did um, even in practice last year. He looked more explosive. He said that you know when he was down in Florida with John Bomberino training this offseason, he got pushed to trust his body, uh, to trust that groin, and, and, to, and to you know really let loose. And, and it looked different. Does that continue? Does he stay on the field consistently in training camp? That seems to be anyone's guess right now. But he seems to be in a decent place, at least to start. All right, I want to get into some commander's training camp position battles or potential commander's training camp position battles with you. Uh, obviously, Carson Wentz is the commander's starting quarterback. Is there a competition for QB2, uh, Taylor Heineke versus Sam Howell, or is Heineke pretty much set as the QB2 and Howell set as the QB3? My sense right now is that it's pretty set that Taylor Heineke is the two. I think they love uh, you know, kind of the experience and, and the mentorship that he could bring, uh, you know, to, to Sam Howell. I think he's really good at that, um, going back to his XFL days. Um, and I think, you know, having one of the better backups in the league, I'd argue, is, is not a bad insurance policy. Obviously, you know, you saw last year that, that maybe he doesn't get you over the hump, but he, I think he is high quality. So unless, you know, they're really straining for, uh, you know, roster spots and, the, and they, they start taking a look at Taylor Heineke. Hey, can we move on? Does Sam Howell show the growth? Uh, I would be very surprised if, if those three guys weren't with this team um, after, after August 30th. Logan Thomas is coming off not just a torn ACL, but also a torn MCL. 
and a torn meniscus. If he's not good to go for week one of the 2022 season, who then is the commander's starting tight end? Is there a competition in training camp between John Bates and, say, Cole Turner uh, to be the TE1 if, in fact, Logan Thomas is not good to go to begin the regular season? I can't imagine that we see anyone other than John Bates be, be the tight end one. And, and by that, I just mean I think Cole Turner has a bit of a ways to go in terms of a, a, a blocking ability. So I, I don't imagine we'll see him out there um, in, in a role other than maybe you know pass catcher, red zone. I would be very surprised uh, to see John Bates not be that number one guy. I also think another guy that we have to watch out for is, is Curtis Hodges. I think he was one of their highest, if not the highest, uh, total guarantee they gave to an undrafted free agent. He made some standout plays during camp, um, uh, mini camp, I should say. Um, so that, that's a guy I think we should watch out for uh, when we're talking about the three uh, top contenders for that tight end role. Yeah, Curtis Hodges is a monster. Undrafted rookie out of Arizona State. He's listed as being 6'8". Yeah, he's huge. Him and Cole Kelly and F.A. Obata, like those dudes really stand <laughs> out when you're out there practicing. <laughs> oh, what about the two starting guard spots? Uh, presumably, we're looking at Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner, two newcomers. But might Wes Schweitzer have something to say about that? I mean, that's a great question because when you ask people about that, they're sort of like, ah, like, I think there's a competition, but we didn't get to see it manifest, right? Because Wes Schweitzer was playing center for all of minicamp, um, taking over for uh, uh, Chase Rulier, who's obviously out with, with the injury he sustained last year in Denver. So while, you know, I think Wes Schweitzer has proven over the last two years that he can be that guy. He started 18 games at, at various positions on the interior offensive line. Um, so I think that he should get a chance to compete. Um, but if whenever Chase Julia comes back, do they then say, oh, hey, sorry, man, you know, Trey's really just gelled with the offensive line. We're going to stick with him and, and have you be the backup again. That seems totally on the table, but I'd be surprised um, if we didn't see some sort of competition if Chase Rulia comes back early enough to, to really stoke one. On defense for the commanders, you could argue that the number one training camp position battle is for the Buffalo Nickel. Uh, there are candidates, but there's no obvious front runner. Uh, you have Percy Butler. You have Derek Forrest. You have Kalik Hudson. Uh, the team could bring back Landon Collins as he remains an unrestricted free agent. How do you see the Buffalo Nickel position playing out? Yeah, I think those three names that you listed are all you know big contenders in that. And I wonder almost if we see, you know, I think about it in terms of the 11th defender, um, just in, in terms of who are we going. Obviously, in certain sub packages in nickel, you know, you might see Benjamin St. Juice or Danny Johnson out there, those type of guys um, in that corner role. Um, and and I, w- I would go back to 2020 and say Cam Curl, with his versatility, his dependability, showed us that one guy, Landon Collins last year, showed us that one guy could really lock that down. So while Buffalo Nickel is important, I do wonder if they almost zoom out and they start saying, okay, uh, is this going to be a situational thing, whether we want a, a coverage guy or a safety in that, that role? Or are we going to look to one guy to maybe lock it down? I would um, I would say that Benjamin St. Juice really has a big camp coming up because if they're going to stick with Kendall and William Jackson as the two outside corners, uh, you know that sort of squeezes his snaps. And obviously last year you saw right away they wanted him on the outside to, to get quite a few snaps. So it's a long-winded way of saying I think this 11th defender position has a lot of contenders, and I don't know if we know who the leading contender for that spot is yet. 
Yeah, I think that's a really smart way of looking at the Buffalo nickel. Much more with Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post in moments. I'm going to next ask Sam about nickel corner. Is Benjamin St. Juice, in fact, the guy? Uh, Should we likey the juice as the Commander's number one nickel corner for this coming season? I do know this. Uh, If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Uh, Always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Uh, McDonald versus City Hospital, a $1.75 million verdict in a medical malpractice case. Bell versus Anova Health Systems, a $3 million verdict for paralysis due to failure to diagnose a medical condition. Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. Uh, again, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You could also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. More now of our preview of 2022 Commander's Training Camp with Commander's Insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. So, nickel corner, this emergence of Benjamin St. Juice as the top candidate to be the team's top nickel corner this coming season, despite him having mostly played as an outside corner, both in college and and during his 2021 rookie season. Do you buy St. Juice as being the commander's top candidate to be the team's top nickel corner this coming season? I do, just because of you know the, the reps they gave him at it in minicamp. Um, and, I, and I do think he has more lateral quickness uh, than you would expect a guy of his size, you know, a 6'3", to, to, to have. And he has that length. And while I think it's possible it doesn't go well, you know, uh, at any time you, you try someone in a new position like that, it, it's a little bit tougher. Um, but, but I think right now they want him to work out there. Um, and obviously, you know, Danny Johnson, while, you know, he, he's played well in his opportunities, I don't think um, he has the potential that they think Benjamin St. Juice has. So if he can lock that slot position down, um, then I think, you know, you start, you start being able to do a little bit more, a little bit more with your coverage. And to me, this kind of goes back to a, a separate point, but, if you're going to play Kendall on the outside and William Jackson on the outside, how, as a defensive coordinator, are you going to maximize both those skill sets? Kendall is a guy who's very comfortable in zone. Ron said he reminds him of Josh Norman in Carolina. William Jackson, obviously, in Cincinnati, was much more of a man guy. And I think last year you saw William Jackson really uncomfortable at the beginning of the year trying to learn that zone scheme. And, you know, sometimes, like, I go back to that Saints game, the way they used um, Marlon Humphrey. Uh, no, not Marlon Humphrey. Um 
where they when they use their top man corner to kind of shadow Terry McLaurin and play zone off of him, are you able to do that with William Jackson? How are you going to balance man versus zone coverages? Jack Del Rio's played a lot of zone so far since he's been here, but I wonder if you have those two guys on the outside, how are you balancing your coverages in which situations? It's a funny thing with William Jackson the third because what happened with him last season it was a fear of many fans of the team going into the season square peg in a round hole and yet that seems to be exactly what happened Jackson was not used as he had been used with the Cincinnati Bengals even though how he had been used by them was why Washington signed Jackson to that big money contract as an unrestricted free agent Last offseason, I mean, when Jackson in his season-ending Zoom press conference with you guys in January said that he in the 2021 season was, quote, doing things that I had never done before, end quote. I mean, boy, was that telling. Absolutely. The Saints corner I was thinking of is Marshawn Lattimore, not Marlon Humphrey. I I want (laughs) to clear that up. Uh, But yeah, I mean, to your point, using it, it, it seems like to me, and I don't have a clear answer on this, is, is what happened there? Was there not a clear plan when they when you sign William Jackson? Hey, this is how we're going to utilize him? Is it a coaching thing? Hey, we thought he'd be better at adapting to zone than he was? Because William Jackson will tell you that he felt very uncomfortable and he hates watching tape before week 10, before that Buccaneers upset, when they had Landon Collins back on the field and they used that three-safety set uh, that they were able to you know confuse quarterbacks. Until week 10, William Jackson hated how he looked. And so to me, uh, it, it's a question of, do you ha- do you does he have to adapt to you or do you have to adapt to him and and when do you pick those moments because to me that's a really important part of what we're talking about here uh linebacker uh going into the commander's 2022 offseason there was so much talk about the team needing to upgrade at linebacker and yet the team this offseason has done next to nothing at linebacker why is that in your opinion yeah i, I think there's two ways to look at this the first is that well you know, you know you're going to have – the first is that linebacker is not super important. You have Jamin Davis and you have Cole Holcomb. Those are going to be your top two guys. There's no need to go out and pay someone a bunch of money that you're not going to give a ton of snaps to because Washington was only in its base defense 16% of the time last year according to Football Outsiders. So, hey, it's not a huge role. You can compensate with it. I think they were probably in base a little bit less because Landon Collins could do some linebacker things, so there may be some – confirmation bias there um and you can just say hey you know the one of the four undrafted free agents we signed or Kalik hudson or one of these guys is going to step up and when we need a third linebacker we'll be fine or we can get a veteran off the street if we don't like these guys uh you know before camp early in camp anthony barr aj klein one of those guys it'll be fine the linebacker is more important camp is hey Teams know that Washington does not like its third linebacker. If you put David Mayo out there, he's a liability in pass coverage. If you put Kalik Hudson out there, he maybe doesn't play the run as well as uh, you know as as, other, as David Mayo would. So you're going to have ways to exploit this team with certain personnel groupings, um, and, and that by not addressing it, by you know betting on Jamin Davis to take a leap forward, you are really exposing yourself and uh, and, and having a real problem here. So I, I see. I think there's validity to both of those arguments. In training camp, in minicamp, I should say, I mean, even in the goal line drills, when, when the offense was on the 10, they used two linebackers. And I wonder, hey, does that open them up to being vulnerable to power rushing attacks in the red zone? Um, but obviously, they've made their choices so far. And, uh, you know, there are opportunities available, but so far they have not signed a veteran free agent, which Ron has discussed for a long time. Yeah, Ron Rivera has done that. And along those lines, something that I now find comical is this notion 
that trading for Carson Wentz handcuffed the commanders from a salary cap standpoint this offseason. That's just not true. Uh, The commanders, as we speak per OverTheCap.com, have $13.3 million in effective salary cap space. Look, I'm not necessarily bothered by the team having not done more this offseason, but why has Ron continually said that trading for Wentz limited what the team could do this offseason when anyone with access to the internet can figure out that that narrative isn't true? It is. It is like a. It's a. It's a weird. Uh, I don't want to say dystopian, but it's just. It's like an odd thing because you're right. Like you can just look it up and say like, "Hey, no, you you do have some cap space." But I I wonder if they're almost talking about you know giving them the benefit of the doubt, um, which I know is is you know sometimes a risky thing. Is is that hey, uh, they don't want to commit too much money down the road in the same way that like they can say they believe in Carson Wentz until they're blue in the face, but if you don't pick up. You know these options, or if you you have those, excuse me, not options. If you don't extend him or give him more guaranteed money to push his cap hit down the road, if you say, okay, we're going to pay him the twenty eight million dollars this year, and if it goes poorly, we can cut him and move on with with no financial penalty. That to me, the actions speak louder than the words with, with Carson Wentz and in the way they're playing his money situation. Because you know th- there were mechanisms for them to free up even more space this year if they needed it, but they didn't take it, and so that to me says. They're not as sold on Carson Wentz as they want to say they are, and you know, with with they, maybe they didn't like players at the price point um, that that were available there, or with Landon Collins, maybe there's something else. Hey, they had him in the building uh, at, in this role. He was disgruntled. We don't like where he's at. I, I think there's plenty of reasons why they're doing what they're doing. They just not might not be straight up with you about them. Yeah, it's just funny. Uh, so as we are beginning 2022 Commanders training camp. What do you think is the biggest worry from a football standpoint for Ron Rivera? Who or what regarding the commander's roster is keeping Ron up at night? I mean, the the number one is like, I hate to be the most obvious, but Carson Wentz. Like, you are betting on Carson Wentz to be that dude, to be the franchise guy. And I understand you might not have had a ton of great options. and You might not have liked the draft class this year. But when you go back and look at the roller coaster that the Carson Wentz experience has been, uh, you know, in the latter half of 2020 and, and 2021, and you say that's the guy we're going to bet on. I, I think you know he might have been the market might be a little bit lower on him uh, because you know obviously Jim Irsay in Indianapolis. Uh, I think the vaccine and and you know Jim Irsay wanting to say hey like let's just get rid of this guy at all costs, moving on from him without another option um, suggests that that maybe you know maybe there's more upside for him than, than a lot of you know people give him credit for. But to me. Hitching your wagon to a guy like Carson Wentz, who's been moved on now uh, from two teams in two years, that would keep me up at night. I mean, there's there's other minor things like I would say linebacker depth is one of them. Uh, does Jack Del Rio is is he able to um, utilize his defense in, in the best way possible? Um, can you can you get the best version of Antonio Gibson, who who was not in his best shape last year? Uh, I think there's a lot of minor things, but to me, the real question. Is Carson Wentz, can he be the guy that you think he is, or is he closer to the guy that the rest of the NFL thinks he is? It's a massive question. Uh, Nothing in the NFL matters more than quarterback play, and Washington's quarterback play has been severely lacking in each of the last four seasons. On the flip side of the previous question, who or what about the commander's roster going into training camp do you think Ron Rivera finds encouraging? Uh, Finds as helping him to believe that this coming season will be the step forward season that Ron has said the season needs to be for the team. 
there's two things. One, I think that the defense last year was so bad against passes on third down and just generally on third down specifically that it's almost impossible for me to imagine that they'll be as bad. Like, like regression will just help them. Regression you don't usually think of as like a helpful thing for a unit, but to me, the defense has to, will have to be better just from the talent that it has. The second thing is that I do think that they've managed to put Carson Wentz in a pretty good situation. He has a very good offensive line in front of him. I think one of the you know better units in the league. And also, they have adjusted to him by, by not only drafting, but signing guys with bigger catch radiuses. Hey, you're not going to be crisp, pinpoint accurate. That's okay. We're going to give you guys that will maximize your chance of still completing those passes. He won't have Jonathan Taylor this year, which he attributes to having one of his better uh, down-the-field throwing years last year. But to me, that part of the offense, Scott Turner's scheme, has been pretty untapped in the last few years. And so I think that you are putting Carson Wentz in a pretty good situation relative to what you could do at the beginning of the offseason. Good stuff. Commander's insider Sam Fortier of the Washington Post. Sam, it was very nice having you on the podcast. Uh, thanks a lot for your time and all the best to you. Of course. Thanks, Al. I appreciate you. All right. Up next, I'm talking Nationals. How about what the Nats did late night on Monday night? Win at the best team in the National League, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yeah, the worst team in the majors, the Nats, won at the best team in the National League, the Dodgers. Uh, where did this come from? A post game, perhaps the Nats' best game so far this season. Straight ahead. Well, if you're like me, you like coffee, and coffee is a part of your routine. I drink coffee before every workout, and I'm a big fan of Trade Coffee, which right now is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that offer in moments. But Trade Coffee tastes great, and Trade Coffee comes from a great place. Trade Coffee sends you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters, small businesses that pay farmers fair prices to sustainably source the greatest beans from around the world. So buying Trade Coffee gets you delicious coffee and supports small businesses and farmers. And here's maybe the best part. Trade Coffee tailors its coffee to you. Uh, you complete a very brief a coffee quiz, and you get your own personalized variety of coffees delivered fresh to you as often as you like. No gimmicks. Uh, Trade Coffee delivers a bag of freshly roasted coffee as whole beans or ground for however you brew your coffee at home. And Trade Coffee guarantees that you'll love your first order, or Trade Coffee will replace your order for free. Trade Coffee is a great model. There's no one perfect coffee but there is a perfect coffee for you. And so here's a special offer for listeners of this podcast. Trade Coffee is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off first orders plus free shipping. Just go to drinktrade.com slash algaldi. Drinktrade.com slash algaldi. Take the quiz and let Trade Coffee find you the coffee that you'll love. Again, $30 off. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. That's drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. One more time, visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, it was one game in late July, late night on a Monday night in what may well be the last full week for the Nationals with their superstar right fielder. But the game ended up being quite the win. Maybe the Nats' best win of the season. A 4-1 win at the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers on Monday night in game one of a three-game series as the Nats, for the first time since winning three consecutive games from June 26th through the 28th, have a winning streak. Yes, an actual real-life Nats winning streak. One win followed by another win. Uh, The Nats have won two straight. And so Nats manager, Davey Martinez, if you would. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, sir, Davey. Uh, The Nats, in fact, are the hottest team in the National League uh, with their two consecutive victories. So there is that. Uh, Of course, the Nats also have the worst record in the majors for the 2022 regular season at 33 and 65. But we do not have to fixate on that. Not right now, anyway. Uh, Good job by the Nats late night on Monday night. Uh, First pitch was at 10.10 p.m. Eastern. Uh, But if you're a Nats fan and you stayed up to watch the game, you were not disappointed. So the Dodgers, of course, are a prime candidate to trade for Juan Soto prior to the MLB trade deadline, uh, which is this coming Tuesday, August 2nd at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Soto, prior to the game, was bombarded with questions from Los Angeles area reporters. And then Soto, during the game, gave the Dodgers a preview of what they would be getting in him uh, were they to trade for him. Soto on Monday night was an ad starting right fielder and number three batter. He went two for four with a two-run triple, a single, and a walk, uh, although he did have a base running blunder. But Soto in the Nats four-run fifth, a two-out, two-run triple on a bouncer down the right field line for a 4-1 Nats lead. Uh, Now, yes, uh, there was some luck involved in that hit, but still, I mean, that was the hit of the game, a two-out, two-run triple in the inning in which the winning team scored all of its runs in the game. Uh, Soto in the top of the seventh had a two-out first pitch single up the middle, and Soto in the top of the ninth drew a one-out five-pitch walk. Now, he did get doubled up to end the top of the ninth as uh, Soto ran quite far before realizing that Josh Bell had lined out 
to Dodgers right fielder Mookie Betts. Juan Soto this season has made way too many outs on the base paths, and he quantifiably has been a bad base runner this season. Juan Soto entered Monday with minus 3.8 base running runs per fan graphs for the 2022 regular season. Uh, but still, good game for Soto on Monday night. And he now, in the 2022 regular season, is number nine among all qualified players in OPS at 895. Uh, we now are past the point at which we were saying, well, boy, Juan Soto's numbers for this season really aren't that great. You know, certainly not by Juan Soto standards. Uh, yeah, the numbers now are pretty darn good. Again, number nine in the majors in OPS at 895. A terrific pitching by the Nats on Monday night. This was arguably the Nats' best pitch game of the season, especially when you consider the opposition. The Dodgers entered Monday number two in the majors in team-weighted runs created plus for the 2022 regular season at 120. 100 is league average. A team-weighted runs created plus of 120 is outstanding. And yet, the Nats on Monday night held the Dodgers to just one run. Uh, Paolo Espino was the Nats' starting pitcher, and he was good. One run in four innings. Uh, he gave up four hits, a homer, a double, and two singles. He issued no walks. Uh, he recorded two strikeouts. He threw 54 pitches, 34 strikes versus 20 balls. Uh, the run that Paolo allowed came on a two-out solo homer by Trace Thompson to left field on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the third for a one nothing Dodgers lead. Uh, Paolo had not been doing so well as a starting pitcher for the Nats, and so Davey Martinez on Monday night pretty clearly had Paolo on a short leash, and the approach worked. Five Nats relievers on Monday night combined for five scoreless innings with six strikeouts. Davey on Monday night leaned on the pen a ton, but the leaning ended up paying off. What a job by the Nats bullpen against the mighty Dodgers on Monday night. Uh, Andres Machado in the bottom of the fifth faced four batters and got three outs. He came into the game with runners on first and second, no outs, and the Nats leading 4-1. Machado then struck out Cody Bellinger swinging on six pitches for the first out. And while Machado did then issue a one-out six-pitch walk of Trace Thompson, who had been down in the count at 1.12 to load the bases, Machado then struck out Mookie Betts looking on five pitches and then got ex-Nat Trey Turner to line out to end the inning. Uh, Victor Arano then tossed a scoreless bottom of the sixth. Hunter Harvey tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh. Carl Edwards Jr. tossed a scoreless bottom of the eighth, despite giving up two singles as he, with runners on first and second, struck out Max Muncy on six pitches for the third out. And Kyle Finnegan tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth. Each of the five Nats relievers utilized on Monday night came through. Davey Martinez during his postgame session with reporters very early on Tuesday morning on the Nats pitching on Monday night. Watching, uh, you know, we were watching um, Espino closely. Um, you know, he's starting getting ball up a little bit, you know, in his own. So uh, we thought, uh, you know, in that group group of hitters, we thought uh, Machado was, was the right guy. And um, he came in, did a great job. And then the rest of the bullpen, you know, I, I say how much um, they pitch well, you know, all year long. And they come out today and they, they shut down a really good team. So that was awesome. I mean, um, guys played with a lot of energy today, which, which was a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, we, hey, we won two in a row, you know, let's come back tomorrow. I'll go one row tomorrow. That was pretty one of the nicer wins you've had all year, holding them to one run, and they had won eight straight coming in, so they were good. Yeah, no, like I said, you know, the our bullpen, uh, our bullpen was was a start of game, and you know, then our you know our best player, you know, uh, Soto comes up with a big hit right there, you know, and, and drives in some runs for us. So, um, but our bullpen was 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 awesome tonight.
Yeah, really good stuff from the Nats bullpen on Monday night. Uh, the Nats on Monday night had eight hits and six walks. Uh, the Nats had two extra base hits, Juan Soto's two-run triple in that four-run fifth, and a Yadiel Hernandez leadoff homer in that four-run fifth. Uh, Yadiel on Monday night was the Nats starting left fielder and number six batter. He went two for four with two leadoff hits, a solo homer and a single. Uh, Yadiel in the Nats four-run fifth, a leadoff opposite field homer to left field to tie the game at one. Uh, the homer went a projected 407 feet per stat cast, and the homer was the Nats' first hit in the game. Yeah, the Nats' offense was doing nothing in this game until that four-run fifth inning, and then Yadiel in the top of the sixth, a leadoff single through the right side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. A productive game for Cesar Hernandez on Monday night. He is the Nats' starting second baseman and number two batter, two for four with an RBI single, another single, and a walk. He did strike out twice, but Hernandez in the top of the fourth drew a leadoff four-pitch walk. Hernandez in the Nats' four-run fifth, a two-out opposite field RBI single on a flare to no man's land and left field for a 2-1 Nats lead. And Hernandez in the top of the seventh, a two-out single on an 0-2 pitch on a ball uh, that went off of Dodgers reliever David Price. So the Nats' two Hernandez's, Yadiel and Cesar, came through on Monday night. Also on Monday night for the Nats, two notable lineup items. Uh, Victor Robles on Monday night, was the Nats' leadoff batter. Uh, first time in the 2022 regular season that Robles has served as the Nats' number one batter in a lineup. Uh, now, we saw a decent amount of this last season, but Robles in the one spot last season uh, did not work out. Uh, well, Robles on Monday night, one game after wearing the red clown nose in the Nats' dugout uh, to troll Arizona Diamondback starter Madison Bumgarner was the Nats' starting center fielder and number one batter. Uh, I don't know if the red cloud nose is the reason for Victor Robles being bumped up to that number one spot, but uh, the timing is interesting, right? Uh, no, I don't think that one had anything to do with the other, but uh, Robles on Monday night, one for five with a single and two strikeouts, left three men on base. He and the Nats four-run fifth did have a two-out first pitch single through the left side of the infield, but Robles in the top of the eighth with the bases loaded and two outs struck out swinging on seven pitches. Uh, also on Monday night, A-Ray Adrianza was the Nats' starting third baseman and number nine batter as he, for a second consecutive game, was the Nats' starting third baseman over Michael Franco. Uh, Adrianza went one for three with a single and a walk. He did commit a throwing error, uh, but Adrianza in that Nats' four-run fifth, a two-out single to center field on an 0-2 pitch. Adrianza in the top of the eighth drew a two-out six-pitch walk, but also for Adrianza, bottom of the sixth, uh, a one-out throwing error as uh, his throw off a grounder off the bat of Will Smith pulled first baseman Josh Bell off the bag toward home plate. Uh, we on Monday night had two errors by the Nats. Uh, Luis Garcia had yet another throwing error. Uh, he was an Nats starting shortstop and number seven batter, 0 for 4 with a strikeout and left three men on base. He has cooled off offensively here lately, and Garcia in the bottom of the seventh committed a two-out throwing error as uh, he on an infield single off the bat of Trace Thompson made a one-hop throw to Josh Bell, who did not catch the ball. Uh, Bell could have made the catch at first base, although that was not an easy catch to make. But uh, Luis Garcia continues to have issues on his throws. Uh, but still, the Nats on Monday night won and at the National League leading Dodgers. We have not had many Nats wins this season. We probably are not going to have many more Nats wins this season. So if you're a Nats fan, savor what happened on Monday night. Game two for the Nats at the Dodgers is on Tuesday night at 10-10. Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher.
So the Nationals on Monday night had a four-run fifth in a win over a good team, and the Orioles on Monday night had a four-run fifth in a win over a good team. The O's on Monday night beat the Tampa Bay Rays 5-1 at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in game one of a four-game series as the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column and the win column over a Tampa Bay Rays team that is the number two team in the American League wildcard standings. Uh, the O's for the 2022 regular season are back at 500, 48 and 48, and the O's remain three and a half games behind the Seattle Mariners for the American League's third wildcard spot. Uh, now, yes, the O's on Monday night did put up a four spot in the fifth, but this was not some like dynamic game for the O's offensively. The O's for the game total just eight hits, all of which were singles to go with four walks. Uh, no Trey Mancini in this game. He did not play uh, due to receiving a mental break, according to O's manager Brandon Hyde. Uh, but there are all kinds of rumors right now that the O's are on the verge of trading Mancini to the New York Mets. Uh, we shall see. But the O's did score five runs on Monday night. Ryan Mountcastle had a big hit on Monday night. He is the Orioles' starting first baseman and number three batter, one for four with a one-out, bases-loaded, two-run, opposite-field single to right center field in the Orioles' four-run fifth. Uh, that single snapped an 0-for-14 drought for Mountcastle. But the story of the game for the O's truly was their pitching. Uh, six Orioles relievers in what was essentially a bullpen game combined to allow one run in nine innings with 10 strikeouts. Uh, Austin Voth started the game. He has been starting games lately. That's why I said essentially a bullpen game, but Voth is not going deep into games. And he on Monday night only pitched for three innings, but he allowed one run in three innings. Now, he was very lucky to allow just the one run in three innings, as both on Monday night over his three innings of work gave up four hits, a homer, a double, and two singles, issued three walks, and over 70 pitches through just 39 strikes versus 31 balls. Yeah, Austin Voth on Monday night had nearly a one-to-one ratio of strikes to balls. Uh, Voth tossed a scoreless top of the second despite having the bases loaded with just one out. Uh, we in that inning, by the way, had a scary home plate collision in which uh, the Orioles phenom catcher Adley Rutschman got shaken up, but thankfully was okay. Austin Voth on Monday night was not lights out, but the run prevention was there. Like I said, one run in three innings. And so Austin Voth now with the O's has an ERA of 338 in 26 and two-thirds innings over 10 games including six starts. Uh, the O's on June 7th claimed Voth off waivers from the Nats. Uh, small sample size, yeah, but Voth has been a lot better with the O's than he was with the Nats. Uh, and then for the rest of the game on Monday night, five Orioles relievers combined for six scoreless innings with eight strikeouts. Uh, Nick Vespi tossed one and two-thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, the O's on Monday morning recalled Vespi from AAA Norfolk. So how about that? He had just arrived earlier in the day, and then he, that night, goes out and tosses one and two-thirds scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Dylan Tate on Monday night faced three batters, got three outs, lowering his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 235. CNL Perez on Monday night, one and a third scoreless innings with two strikeouts, lowering his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 135. Felix Batista on Monday night, a perfect top of the ninth, lowering his ERA 
for the 2022 regular season to 159. The O's in this 2022 regular season now are number three in the majors in relief pitching ERA at 309. And that's also while being number three in the majors in relief innings pitched at 393 and a third innings. So a bullpen from which a lot has been asked has delivered big time. The Orioles bullpen this season has been outstanding. Brandon Hyde during his postgame press conference on Monday night was asked how much he enjoys managing this bullpen. Yeah, tonight they were so good. Um, but I, yeah, I do enjoy managing and you know these guys and um, once again they put six zeros up. It's that's absolutely outstanding and um, you know both grinded out through through three. He was limited tonight a little bit just because of his layoff and not starting in a uh, on a regular schedule. Um, so he was kind of in the 80, 75, 80 range anyways, but um, give him credit for, for you know not having his best stuff and kind of grinding through those first three innings, only giving up a run, pitching with a lot of traffic out there. Um, and then the bullpen guys were, everybody that came in the game was absolutely outstanding. Yes, they were. And so how about this? The O's now have recorded back-to-back winning months for the first time since May and June 2016. (laughs) Isn't that something? The year, in case you're not aware, is 2022. Not since 2016 had the O's recorded back-to-back winning months. Uh, Monday night's win clinched a winning July for the O's of their winning month of June. Back-to-back winning months for the team for the first time since May and June 2016. Game two for the O's against the Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Tuesday night at 7.05. Spencer Watkins will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday's show, episode 363, will feature in-depth reaction to and commentary on Ron Rivera's pre-Commander's training camp press conference on late Tuesday afternoon. Uh, We could have news on Tuesday in the way of players being placed on the active, physically unable to perform list, the pup list. Uh, Who knows what else could come from Ron's presser. Lots of commanders conversation on Wednesday's show and moving forward on the podcast as training camp is upon us. Although remember, uh, I talk commanders on every installment of the podcast, regardless of the time of year. Also on Wednesday's show, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. Uh, Game two for the Nats in their three-game series at the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers is on Tuesday night at 10-10. Game two for the O's in their four-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards is on Tuesday night at 7.05. A great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Uh, Oh, wow. You didn't waste any time there. There it is. 
If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 